Well, as we begin, I just want to think about a key biblical truth that we all know. We know that God is perfect, He's holy and righteous. In contrast, we know from the Bible that we've all sinned and come short of God's glory, and that God is perfect and we're sinful. That and if and 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 you know, since we're sinful, even if we want to do good, really, there's two things to think about when we if when we say we're going to do good, we have to realize that the righteousness of man's filthy rags. That if we said I'm going to try to live righteously, I'm going to try to do good things, that even the good things that we do is filthy rags. And the second thing, the standard is not being good; the standard is being perfect. So when a person says, I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to live a good life, we say, well, that's filthy rags. We say, but I'm going to try to give, live a good life. So the answer is not a good life. You've got to live a perfect life. We can never measure up. If man, when man sins, he earns death. When man does good, he earns filthy rags. I mean, you ever thought about that? So God is perfect, man is sinful. So the question is this. How, uh, how can fallen man be right with God and how can a man be righteous? I mean, we know the answer to that. If you've been in countryside any length of time, just the question of how can a fallen man be right with God and how can man be righteous, the answer, of course, by faith. Romans 4, 5, to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited, counted for righteousness. So when we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, God gives us righteousness. Well, this evening we're going to take a look at Noah because he's called a righteous man. Was Noah a good man? Well, we'd say no. Because nobody's good. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one good. There's not one that seeks after God. But he had believed, and he was given righteousness by God. So this evening we think about Noah, the righteous man, who found the grace of God. In the eyes of the Lord he found favor. And tied in with this, we're going to see God's plan of judgment and grace. So there's a lot here. Just in these few verses we're going to look at. Let's begin. We saw last time the thoughts and actions and intentions of man were continually evil. Now, people will say today, well, is that the same as today? Well, you know this, that uh, uh, when, when Jesus Christ comes the second time, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We know the earth is going to get just as bad as it was even then. You know, there's going to be a time, even after God has judged and started over, and, and we're in now, and, and then we're going to be taken out, and there'll be that whole tribulation time period and everything. Mankind's going to be evil, continue to get evil. And the human race turns away from God. In fact, as you look at Genesis, that's what we've been seeing. Look at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every thought and every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. That sounds pretty bad. I mean, I don't see, I can't find much good in that verse at all. Every, that the, every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't see that every thought of every man on the face of the earth today is evil continually. Do you? I mean, do you ever see that don't some people do some good? Is every thought of every man continually evil? Maybe that is just the general statement. Not, not that every little thought was evil, but the idea that all of the plans of man and his thoughts and all that were evil. Who knows? John Davies in his commentary says, As the fallen human race multiplied and expanded, so did evil. The imaginations of the human heart became so wicked that God had to judge them, and he did so with the great flood. The intent, the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. Not only what they thought, but why they thought it. See, the bottom line, the heart of the problem is the problem of man's heart. I mean, that's it. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? I mean, think about it. Paul said, inside me dwells no good thing. Isaiah said, we've all like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. David said, there's none righteous, no, not one. What is God's response to all of this? Well, we saw the pain 
and the plan. Look at verse 6. We see the pain. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved. There's the pain. Grieved in his heart. That word, the word sorry, has an idea of regretted. Now, he's using human terms because, listen, listen does, did God know all of this? Did God know when he created the heavens and the earth? It was, I mean, he says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain when? Before the foundation of the world. So it's not like God went, oh, my goodness, man messed up. i got to figure out a plan now. What am I going to do? I mean, the, the plan has been from all eternity. He knows everything. He's using human emotions. He's using it and saying, God was sorry. The Lord was sorry that he made man, and he was grieved in his heart. Sin grieves God. It does now. When we say, I'm going to do this, and we know it's wrong, uh, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve God. Now, that's the pain. But look at the plan. The next thing is the plan. And here's what it says. Here's the plan. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. Now, let me ask you a question. And I'm not telling you there's an answer right here. I just want to ask you this question. Why did he have to go ahead and kill all the animals? All the Everything that had the breath of life is going to die. I mean, did the animals sin? Why kill everything? Hmm? You mean if 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 he just killed man, there'd just be animals, and then you have a couple of couple of people, and all of a sudden all the animals just take over? Right? Who knows? I don't know. That's a good thought. Doesn't tell us. It just says that when he decided to judge. He didn't just say, I will judge mankind. He judged the whole world. He judged the creation. We know from the fall, we know from the Romans chapter 8, that the whole creation groans and travails, that there's a curse on the creation. We saw that at the fall when he said that there's going to be thorns and thistles and you have to make your living by the sweat of the brow and all of this. So the earth itself is cursed. That's why one day he'll make a what? A new heaven? Yeah. Did you have a question? Well, that's a yes. That's a great. That's a great point. That that not only because when man sinned, not only the, is the repercussions just on all mankind, but it's on the whole earth. There, you know, we never sin in a vacuum. That's a great point. True that that when you sin, you say it's only affecting me. No, it's not just affecting you. In fact, mankind's sin, which was evil everywhere, affected the whole earth and the whole world. So what does he say? He says, I will blot out man that I have created from the face of the earth, from man to animals to creeping things, the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry, I regret, basically, that I will do that. So his plan is to blot out, to exterminate. Wow. If we stopped right there and didn't know any future things, didn't know what we see next, we'd say, you know what? God started with Adam and Eve and the generations and everything. And, got, and then God just, he wiped every human being off the face of the earth. And I guess he had to come and create another man and maybe another woman. That's what we think if we stop right there. Because what does he say I'm going to do? I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things, that's bugs, and to the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I made them. I'm going to do it. Henry Morris said this, The sin disease that had begun with Adam and Eve came to maturity in the godless civilization that developed only a global bath of water from the windows of heaven could purge and cleanse the earth. Henry Morris says that in his commentary. 
God's response is judgment. The pain and the plan. There's the grief, and the plan is I will destroy. Sin must always be judged. Because the wages of sin is what? Death always has been, always will be. Even before there was sin, even before mankind sinned, what did he say? In the day that you eat that fruit, dying you shall surely die. It's always been that way. The wages of sin is always death. But notice, verse 8 starts with a but, which is a contrast. It's a good thing that contrast is there. Because in contrast to the fact that he's going to blot out everything on the face of the earth, but... Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor. The word favor is the word hen. It's the idea of grace. It has the idea of grace. God showed grace to Noah. Now, remember something. Grace is always unmerited. Those who get grace get it not because what we do. We all deserve judgment. God Shows favor. Now, don't look at Noah and say, Noah was a special man, and God looked down and said, out of all the people, this is the greatest person of all, this is the best man, and because he's the best man, I'm gonna, I'm going to show grace to him. That's not grace. Don't say that Noah was better than everybody else. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If it was cause what Noah had done, it wouldn't be what? It wouldn't be grace. God, in his grace, chose to save Noah and his family. This is the way God deals with us. He deals with us in his grace. We don't deserve to be saved. I mean, you ask yourself the question, how many of us deserve to get to go to heaven? Not a single one. So it's all the grace of God. We could never, we have never, and could never do anything that would merit God's action and his plans. But by grace, we have been saved through Faith, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. The grace of God is that God sent Jesus to die in our place, pay for sin, and rise again, and offer to us eternal life as a gift. In the midst of the fallen world, God has grace on Noah. Well, let's look at him, because he was, he was a great man, in the sense of how great can a man be, right? But there's some things about him that we want to see. Look at verse 9. It says, Now these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And then it goes on to say, Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We'll talk more about that in a second. But it says, These are, literally it says, These are the generations of Noah. And, and before we get into that, I think there are three things that, because the, the word generations means the records of Noah. This is, this is what Noah was like, because he's going to go back and give us about Noah and say, here's his sons, and here's this, and here's this. So he says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah's a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Three things about Noah. That he was a righteous man, that he was blameless, and he walked with God. And you go, whoa, that, that sounds pretty good to me compared to the thoughts of every man was what? Evil continually? Well, let's think about what does it mean. He was, first of all, righteous. Okay, I think the next slide is righteous. Literally means to be right. It means to be declared right. Biblically, right with God, we've all sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. But there's only one way that a person can be righteous. And how is that? By what? By faith. By faith. Noah obviously was a believer. If he's called a righteous man, Noah was a righteous man. It doesn't mean he lived righteously because there's none righteous, no, not one. 
It means when he's called righteous that he was a believer, that he took God at his word, that he trusted the provision of the coming Messiah and literally by faith in God's provision. Genesis 15:6, we see that Abraham believed God. Romans 4, 5, believing. Philippians 3, 9, believing. Those verses tell us that when you believe, you get the righteousness of God. And for every one of us in this room, when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gave you his righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. Now, there's two things. There's called justification, which is to be declared right, and imputation, which means to be made right. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you are justified, declared to be righteous. You are also made righteous because he imputes, he credits to your account his righteousness. Every one of us in this room who know Christ, we are declared righteous by God and we are made righteous by God. Happens the moment we believe. So by faith in God's provision, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was what? Counted, credited to him for righteousness. 4, 5, whom it does not, does not work but believes, his faith is credited for righteousness. Philippians 3, 9, being found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness of God, which comes on the basis of faith. We get God's righteousness by faith. So by faith, you and I can be righteous. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life and God's righteousness. And so the question that sometimes people ask is, are you righteous? And this is a positional righteousness. God has put on your account righteousness. If you open up the book, JB, JB, sins. How many sins are on my record book? Not a single one, because they've been placed where? On Christ. How many sins are on anybody's record book? None, because they've all been placed on Christ. But what, what do you have to have in your record book to get to be with Him? Righteousness, forgiveness, and eternal life. And all three of those come by faith. And so the moment we believe there in my record book, it says J.B. is righteous. And you would say, no, he is not. Because I know him. Well, experientially, I'm not. Positionally, I am. I've been given the righteousness that God demands. Wow. Noah, it says, Noah was a righteous man. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have God's righteousness. Noah had believed. He had God's righteousness. The second thing, it says he was blameless. The word blameless has an idea of complete. It has an idea of, 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 of mature. Sometimes the word is even translated perfect. But when you think of perfect, sometimes we think no, nothing wrong at all. But this word has an idea of like something growing up to maturity. The idea there is that Noah was mature. Obviously, he had believed and over some time he had grown. He had grown. And so when it says that he was blameless, and, and by the way, in the Old Testament you'll see sometimes it'll say, and this man was blameless before God. That means that, doesn't mean that they, they were without sin. It means that whenever they sinned, what did they do with their sin? They dealt with their sin. That's why Paul, before he was a believer, he says that under the law he was blameless. Paul didn't keep the law perfectly. Nobody's ever kept the law perfectly. When Paul says he was blameless under the law, that meant that whenever he broke the law, he dealt with it. He brought the right sacrifice. He did what it was taken so that he would be blameless before God. Noah was blameless. Look at this right here. Conversion is the miracle of a moment, but maturing takes a lifetime. It does. We're all in the process of growing to maturity. 
We're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God's purpose in saving us is not just to keep us from going to hell. That's big. I mean, that's the, he came to save us, to keep us being separated. But his only purpose, his, his purpose in saving us was not just, okay, I saved you, there you are. His goal and plan is that you'd be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says, till Christ be formed in us. It's powerful. So here's a question. Are you and I maturing? Are we growing as believers? Would we be called blameless and mature? That's the plan. We may have been believers for a long time. And let me tell you, you can be a believer for a long time. And that doesn't mean you're maturing. Because it doesn't just, it takes time, but but there's also the idea of being controlled by the Holy Spirit and knowing the Word of God and applying it in our lives and growing in the grace of knowledge. It's a process of growing to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So Noah, blameless, righteous. But there was a third thing, and look what it says. He walked with God. He walked with God. How many people does the Scripture say walked with God? Enoch and Noah. This is a description. This means he, he maintained his close personal relationship. To walk with God is, is to be going in the same direction, to be partners, so to speak. So Noah was a man who walked with God. And, and you know, we talked about the description of the Christian life, walking with God. The next, next slide, I think, talks about Ephesians 4.1 is to walk worthy. Colossians 2.6 is to walk by faith. Ephesians 5 says walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom. If we want to walk with God, the idea is walking worthy of our calling. That means living out who we are. It is a walk of faith as we, see, as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. It's a walk of faith. Ephesians 5 says walk in light, which means live a pure life. Walk in love, loving God and loving others. Walk in wisdom, which is making the most of our time, taking the truths of the Bible and applying them in our lives. So that's a worthy walk. That's how we're supposed to walk. So in our, you and I maintaining our relationship with God and our fellowship with God, are we walking with God? Are we going the same way as God? And you know, it's very easy to go a different way, isn't it? All you have to do is do what you want to do because the flesh naturally doesn't want to go with God. So as we think about Noah, he was righteous as a believer, blameless, he was maturing, and he walked with God. He maintained his fellowship and relationship. As God saw the wickedness of man, he had this plan. Remember his pain and his plan. And the plan, I don't, I'm not sure what the next slide is, but I think it's the plan was both judgment and grace. To judge the world, that's his plan. But Noah found grace. Noah found favor. And so as we look at this, it's pretty powerful. Now, I want to stop for just a minute. I want to think about righteousness, okay? Because we've just talked about being declared righteous, and Noah was a righteous man and those kind of things. I think there are three aspects of righteousness. First of all, we think about, I think, I don't know if the next slide is. Yeah, the first three aspects of righteousness. First, the righteousness of God. You realize that he is perfect. He's perfectly righteous. His character is righteous. We do not determine what's right and wrong. Who determines what's right and wrong? God does, based on his what? Character. That's, that's his, that's, he's righteous. We don't determine it. He determines it. He is the perfect standard. So God is righteous. Number two, as a sinner, we must be made righteous. We have to be. If we're going to spend any time, if we're going to have a relationship with God for all eternity, we have to be righteous. And the only way we get that righteousness is simply by faith. We are dead in sin. He declares us righteous. He makes us righteous. The third thing, that when we believe in Jesus Christ and we are declared righteous, we must pursue righteousness. And now we're talking about the Christian life. 
pursue righteousness. Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? Righteousness. We're to know and apply the scripture. We're to walk worthy. We're to live righteously and godly in a fallen world. Now, this, this is not easy. You know, it's, it's easy to say, here's what this passage says. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we're to live worthy and righteous and, and you know, grow and do all this. And we go, yeah, that's what it all says. What are we supposed to do about it? We've got to take the word of God and we've got to live it out. And that's why it's a community. That's why it's a body of believers. Because the Christian life is you not by, it's not by yourself. We don't live the Christian life by ourselves. We live the Christian life with our fellow believers who are encouraging us, who's using their gifts, talents, and abilities to equip one another to do the ministry, to build up the body of Christ, to help each other grow. All of those things tie together. And so we pursue righteousness in the context of a group of believers who are together in ministry and life. Noah is righteous. Are you righteous? Noah is blameless and maturing. Are you and I growing and maturing? Noah walked with God. Are we maintaining our fellowship with God? And the keys to growth, of course, is to spending time and going the same way he's going. So when we think about all of this, here is Noah, righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Now, look at verse 10. It begins to list his offspring. It says, now, Noah became the father of three sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth. Now, we're going to see a little bit later on, especially after the flood, uh, after what happened when these three boys come off and they begin to spread, people have said, well, who, who are the descendants of Shem and who are the descendants of Ham and where did they go and where did Shem go, where did Japheth go? What about these people? And we'll see it. And we'll see how the earth seems to divide as, as one, one guy goes one way and another seems to go another way and another goes another way and we see how, how the world spread out at that sense. Now, as we move to the next verse, we see the results of man's wickedness. The earth became corrupted. Look at verse 11. Now, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. The word corrupt means decay. It means evil. It was rotting in God's sight. Many times, man look around, we look and say, I look pretty good compared to other people. We think we are better than others. We say, well, things aren't so bad. But the truth in God's sight, we're all sinners. We all come short of his glory, which is perfection. And notice what it says, and the earth was filled with violence. Death and killing and corruption and the fallen world was getting worse and worse and worse. We studied in the, in the, uh, when we looked in the book of, uh, of, of Luke on Sunday mornings and it talked about when Jesus comes the second time and he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to get worse and worse again. We, we can't hardly even imagine how bad it's going to be during the tribulation. We'll be gone. But as bad as it is going to be in the tribulation is how it was in a sense in the book of Genesis. Because he says as it was in those days, that's why it's going to be when he comes the second time. Watch what he says. God, verse 12, God looked on the earth and behold it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. When God looked at the earth, it was corrupt, it was decaying, it was dying. And literally, the way the, the uh, Hebrew is written there, it says, when it says, God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupted, literally it says it had corrupted. The idea of the earth was corrupting itself, the earth was destroying itself, and that's what sin does. Sin always brings destruction. Sin always brings death. I mean, you just look at your own life, and if you get into sin and stay in sin, you're going to kill yourself one way or the other. You're going to destroy yourself. And we've seen people destroy themselves. Going contrary to the truths of God's word. And here is the world. And God is actually saying the earth was corrupting itself. It was corrupting. It was killing itself. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. 
the theme of this little section, chapter 5, chapter 6, basically, especially chapter 6, the wickedness of man. Because that's what we're seeing. The response by God, judgment. I will blot out man. Now we know that this is exactly what happened. We're going to read it in chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. That's the whole idea of the flood. It's going to take two or three chapters to go through this part. But we're going to see the flood. And we're going to see that a lot of people, they say, yeah, it rained for how long? How long did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights? How long were they in the ark? About 370 days. It took 150 days for the water to reach its height. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, but it took 150 days for the water to reach its height. They were on the ark for 370 days. So it, it is an amazing event. And we see the judgment. And the earth was corrupted. God said, I will blot out man. And you know, he did this. And then you go a little further down and there was the Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were so wicked that it says in the Bible that the stench, the smell went up to the nose of God. Now, it was in Hebrew, it's using, it's using anthropomorphism, which means he's using characteristics of human beings for God. And it's saying God could smell the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he said, I'm going to send down those angels to see if it's really that bad. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God need to send down angels to see if it's really that bad? No, he sent down the angels really to give a message to, to Abraham. And, of course, what did he do? He destroyed it. What's going to happen? What's going to continue to happen in our world if it continues to get worse and worse and worse? No, tell them what the judgments are going to be. We know that the tribulation is going to be the greatest judgment on the earth that's ever been. We talked about this when we studied uh, uh, Luke on Sunday morning when we talked about the end time events and we were talking about the tribulation and how horrible the tribulation is. The judgments of tribulation are not by the Antichrist. He's not bringing the judgments on the earth. God's bringing the judgments on the earth. God is the one that breaks the seven seals and the seven bowls and the seven trumpets. That's God's judgment on the earth. So it's powerful. God says, I will blot out man, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. As we think about this passage and we think about the ark, the ark is really a type of Christ. I mean, think about this. In the ark, there is the escape from the judgment. In Christ, there is escape from judgment. I mean, really, the ark of the co- the, the ark which is there, and the ark of the covenant, and, and the, the other arks. There's two arks mentioned in the Bible, of course. The ark, which is the the one they got on for the flood, and then there's the ark of the covenant later. But all of that's symbolic of a place of refuge and a place of safety. And the ark represents really a picture of Jesus Christ. In the ark, there's the escape from judgment. In Christ, there's the escape from judgment. In verses 13, we see the plan for judgment. In verse 14, we see the plan of grace. Look at verse 13. This is the judgment. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, the flesh, the people. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. He's going to destroy them. He says, Noah, the end of all flesh has come. God's going to bring an end to the wicked world. God said, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago when we were studying. He said, I will not let this go on. God's not going to let this go on. It's pretty powerful. If you're Noah, and he's saying, I'm fixing to destroy everything, you want to go, what what about me? I mean, you're talking to me, and you're telling me this. Is this just so I would know? Or is there any good news in this thing at all? You know? 
Well, verse 14 is the plan for grace. And look what he says. Make for yourself, yourself, an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, we'll talk about this for a second. The ark, the ark is a, is a big box is what it is. When you think of the ark of the covenant, what did it look like? I mean, you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? What did it look like? It was a box, wasn't it? That's exactly what it looked like. In fact, they did a great job in Raiders of the Lost Ark putting together what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. And it was that box, and it was a wooden box covered over with gold with a solid gold lid and the two angels on the top and all that. That's what It was a box. He says, make an ark. If you picture a little boat floating on the water, you've missed it. The ark is a giant box. It's a giant box. It's going to be three levels high. Listen to the size of this thing. We're going to get it next week. Look at verse 15. This is how you'll make the ark. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. 450 feet long. Its its breadth is 50 cubits. Its height is 30 cubits, 45 feet high, 75 feet wide. What is that description of? How big is that thing? It's big as a what? It's an ocean liner. It's big as a big ship. It's bigger than you. It's, It's huge. How long is a football field? 300 feet? This is 450 feet long. Picture that. When you see the drawings, and it's this little boat, and all the heads are peeking out, and the giraffe is looking out, and they're all in this little boat, that's not what it was. It was huge. When he said, No, I want you to build this thing 450 feet long, you can see him going, Right. I better have some help. I mean, this is huge. So it's a big box. It's the place of grace and salvation. It's not a little boat in a sense. It's like a big barge because it's going to float. It's huge. It's as big as a modern ocean liner. It's, it's a flat-bottom boat, long, rectangle barge. The gopher wood was very hard wood, very strong. The descriptions, notice it says, You shall make the ark with rooms. You know what the word rooms means? Literally, it's the Hebrew word for nest. You should make a bunch of nests in there, a bunch of place for everything to get. And you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Pitch was something like tar. It, was, it would be something to make it waterproof. But the Hebrew word for pitch means to cover over. It, it goes back to the whole idea of Yom Kippur, the day of covering. The day of pitch, the day of covering it up. And so he says, this is going to be the place that's going to cover everything. You're going to get in there, and you're going to be covered over, and you're going to be safe. That's what the ark was. It was the place of deliverance. Now, for it to deliver you, what did you have to do? You had to get in. You had to get in. Now, you know what's so amazing? And, of course, I, you know, I'm reading this over and over, and I'm sure some of you are reading Genesis as well as we're studying it. Can you picture, because what he's going to tell him, and we're going to see it next week, is he said, you got to go, all the animals, you're going to get two of all these animals, right? Two of all the animals. Everything has got the breath of air. you, you got to bring them on the ark, and that's what you think. And, and you say to yourself, man, how is Noah going to go out there and go, okay, come on, raccoons, come on, and let's get those get those giraffes over here, get those couple of lions over here, get those, get those dinosaur things, get them over here. I mean, is that how he did it? Did he go get them? No, in fact, if you look at the passage, what does it say? I will bring them to you. 
And we'll talk about how big it is. And we'll talk about could it hold animals? Could it hold all the animals? How big is this thing? The bottom line is the ark is the place of safety. Just as Jesus Christ is our place of safety. We run to him for the place of refuge. He is the Savior. And we come to him and we say, I trust in you to save me. They're going to get on the ark to save them. Because the destruction is coming. Next time we'll see some details of the ark. And so what have we seen? We saw the wickedness of man that brought pain to God. We saw his plan was to judge the world. But Noah found favor of the Lamb of grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. He was a blameless man. He walked with God. That means he was a believer. That means he was maturing. And that means he maintained his fellowship and relationship with God. God said, here's the judgment coming. I'm going to destroy the earth. However, there is a place of grace. And it's the ark. Now, you know, if... if uh, if I know his sons, I'd be going, what about us? What about us? Any room for us? He's making it pretty big. Let me ask you a question. How many people could get on the ark? Hmm? How many people could get on the ark? Do you think hundreds? Thousands? Pretty big. I mean, how many on some of those big old cruise ships that are huge? How many do they hold sometimes? Thousands? How many people could have got on the ark? How long did it take them to build the ark? About over 100 years, maybe 120 years. What do you think Noah was doing while he was building the ark? You think people saw him building the ark? Do you think they came and said, what are you building? He said, I'm building a big boat. And they'd say, why? They'd say, because there's a big flood coming. Had it ever rained yet on the earth? No, it's never rained. So he can't say it's fixing to be a big rain coming and flood everything. People said, we don't even know what you're talking about. He said, God's going to destroy the earth by a big flood. And they went, yeah, right. And he said, the only way of safety is to get on the ark. How many people got on that ark? Was, was God saying, I'm only going to save eight people? Do you think in the hundred and something years it took to build this ark that God said, look, I'm only building it for you eight people? How many times do you know of people that you say, look, there's only one way of salvation, and that's Jesus, and he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him, and if you'll believe in him, you'll have eternal life, and it's just a gift. And they say, I don't believe that. And what you're saying to them is, get on the ark of Jesus. And they're saying, oh, I'm not getting on the ark. I'm not getting on the ark of Jesus. Look at some applications. The first one is realize the wickedness of mankind. All sin comes short of the glory of righteous none. All sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness is filthy rags. We have to realize that not a human being ever could measure up to God. B. Oh. Understand God's response to man's sin. Now think about this twofold judgment and grace. It's always that way. It's twofold judgment and grace. The truth is God's going to always bring judgment. The ultimate judgment will be what? The lake of fire. That's the ultimate judgment. Because anyone who doesn't believe the ultimate judgment is a separation. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, God gave grace. Even our unworthiness, even our des- instead of deserving the gift, we deserve judgment. This grace was given. We were enemies and given without ever expected to be repaid. You can't repay it. God's... Response to man's sin 
judgment, and grace. And you need to, we need to thank God for the grace of God. Jesus Christ, and, and hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have eternal life, that's the grace of God. Because if you don't take the grace of God, you get the judgment, which is separation. The third thing is, let's be like Noah. Because Noah was righteous, blameless, and walked with God. Righteousness comes by faith. Blameless is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of the truths of God's Word, and walking with God is fellowship and service. So let's be like Noah. Let's be righteous. And that comes by faith. And the only way we can be righteous is to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. Blameless is to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. we got to go on to maturity and then walking with God as our fellowship and service. I read this. It's kind of funny because the truth is we're supposed to go into maturity. But it said a little boy was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I don't want to grow up. And they said, why not? He says, because I can't ride my tricycle. Well, many Christians are still on their tricycles because they don't want to grow up. We ought to be on the front lines, but we're still in basic training. It's amazing how many people have gone through 412 and Beth Moore and every study you can name, and they're still saying, I'm not ready to teach anybody else. I'm not ready to train anybody else. I'm not ready to take somebody through a 412. I'm not ready to... And they've been doing this for years. There comes a time when you say, I've got to step out and be a person who's going to help others grow and mature. It doesn't take years and years to be a mature, growing Christian. In fact, a brand new Christian can tell another person about salvation. Because that's what they know. They know the salvation story. May we grow, may we walk with God, may we walk worthy, may we maintain our relationship daily with the Lord. May we be like Noah who is righteous and blameless and walk with God. The wickedness of man, there's going to be judgment, but God in His grace has made a way of escape. May we all have trust in Jesus Christ as the provision, and then let's walk worthy of our calling. Let's pray and we'll open up for questions. Heavenly Father, thank you for the passage tonight as we think about Noah and righteousness and blameless and walking with God and the judgment and understand uh, that uh, the wickedness of mankind and God's response to that is judgment and grace. And Lord, we, we thank you for your grace. And we want to be like Noah because we know that by believing we become righteous and that we're to grow to be blameless and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And we want to walk with you and we want to be different people. Lord, thank you for these truths. Teach us, Lord, and may we make application in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything tonight? Anything you want to raise? Or Yeah, hey, Hazel, yeah. The best we can tell to walk with God is to maintain a close fellowship with Him. It's the idea of, it was more than just saying, I know Him, and I know who He is. and I'm, It's the idea that they, on purpose, spent time on purpose and that was Enoch and he was pretty unique in his time and Noah was pretty obviously pretty unique in his time so he what I imagine so the best that we could tell is that it appears that God is revealing himself in some way that Noah understands what God is saying you know, a lot of times you read the Bible and it'll say, and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and the word of the Lord came to this person, or God said to Abraham, think about it, here's Abram living in the earth of the Chaldees, and it said, God said to him, I want you to leave there and go to a land. Now, how did God say that to him? Did God appear in some way? Is there some form? It doesn't say that. Did God just say, Abram? And God... And, and, you know, there's sometimes where God will speak and they will say, Here I am, Lord, as if they're hearing the voice. I don't know. 
We know now that God speaks to us through his word, through his written revelation. We go to the word of God. This is God's written revelation to us. You think about it from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. All the way, for 400 years after that, there's still no what? No written revelation. The first revelation that was actually written down, no, uh, Moses wrote down the first five books. So all the way to the time of Moses, there was no written revelation. We, by the grace of God, have the completed written revelation. Yes. Well, I haven't covered that. Uh, you know, it says back uh, when he was, what, 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There are people who believe that they were triplets. It could, some have said, that it's just given a general statement that about the time he was 500, he had his kids. So it doesn't say they were triplets. You know, in the Scripture, when it wants to be very specific, it'll say, and these were the two sons or the in your belly or something like that. So some have said that they are triplets. Others have said it just means that about the time he was 500 is when he had his children. Because at least in the English translation, it follows the same writing pattern of everybody before that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and so that's there's two thoughts. One is that they're triplets, which is pretty unusual, and the and, and then the other is that it just means this is when he had his children. Well, I didn't really talk about them doesn't give that much information. I mean, it talks about what they what they did, but it doesn't talk about who's the oldest one and those kind of things. Sure, that's a good point. Great question. I haven't covered that. haven't dealt with it, really. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, yeah we will. We'll see what we can find. Uh, in fact, the best that I can ever remember, and I've studied Genesis a number of times and going through it even now, I don't think I've ever read anything about whether they were triplets or not, but I'll see what I can find. Great point. Yeah, Bob. Here's what I think. Yeah, I think that I think that the dinosaurs were on the ark, and I think dinosaurs came off of the ark, and I think they populated the world. But I think the world changed after the flood because there was a canopy. The world was almost like a, uh, you know, almost like a, a, a jungle in a sense because there was this canopy cover. There had not been rain. Water came up and watered the earth, and it, it was a mist came up every night and watered the earth. And it, if you noticed, everybody lived 900 years. And then after the flood, the whole everything's changed because the cloud cover all fell. And, and most scientists, most people will say that after that happened, the, the sun rays came on and the earth changed. And if you notice the first generation after the flood, they lived 300 and something years and they got smaller and smaller and smaller after that. And many believe that, that the climate of the earth changed and that's, the dinosaurs didn't make it. But we know that at the time of Job, which is the time of Abraham... Job in, in the book, uh, of, you know, the book of Job, he describes uh, some animals, the behemoth, uh, and, and, the, and there's the only thing it could possibly be. It's not any animal that we have, and it, it, it's, it's a description, I think, of a dinosaur. 
So I think that there were dinosaurs even up until the time of Abraham before they all completely died off. They, yeah, it's it's out of whack. And then and and you know the whole idea of built-in time and everything else that we've talked about, it's just hard to figure all that out. Every every scientist, everyone would say there was a catastrophe on the earth that the earth has changed. Something happened, and that happening was the flood. And we'll talk a little bit about it when we get over into chapter, you know, the chapters where the flood is, and we'll talk about how big the ark was and could the animals get on there. Uh, you know, did you have to take, a, you know, of course, the names of the dinosaurs were different when I was growing up. They've changed a lot of the names of them, but what I used to call a brontosaurus was that huge thing. Did you have to take a full-grown brontosaurus on the ark, or could you get a baby brontosaurus on the ark? I mean, let's think about it. And, and uh, what did he do? And we'll talk about could they get all the animals on the ark by two. And we'll see, truthfully, they could with with about four-fifths of it left over. They, they, it, they just, you could put every animal in the world on that ark, and there was still plenty of room. So there's a lot there. We'll see that in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Yes? Maybe it's not as old as they think it is. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's amazing. Right. No, not 65. Maybe 62 million, but not 65 million. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Once Pluto is no longer a planet, there's no telling what we're going to find, you know? <laughs> yeah. What else? Anything else? Okay, thanks for coming. We'll continue next week. We'll get right on in there.